How many of you, by show of hands, have a passport? Oh, quite a few of you got a passport. How many of you, is it actually up to date? Okay. We think about that as uh, Nancy and I plan or try to make plans for later this year when we go back and visit some family and friends. But not family, I guess. I think we kind of call them family, family and friends, not only in Hong Kong where we served for three years, but then back to India where we'll have a chance to minister with, with God's people as well. But you know that when you travel to another country or when other people come from their country over here, there are two types of visas that uh, you, can, you can receive. Uh, one of them, of course, is a tourist visa. Uh, you go to a foreign country, <clears throat> you're on vacation, you're on a mission trip, uh, you're spending money, you're taking it easy, you're just kind of coasting along for a few days or a few weeks or at least until the money runs out. Uh, that's the way most people travel when they travel abroad. But there is another type of visa that you can get that will give you a completely different type of relationship with the country you're visiting. It is a work visa, or sometimes called in our country a green card. I can remember getting a work visa when we lived in Hong Kong, being a teacher. See, having a green card means that you're not necessarily there to soak up the sun. You're really there to work. And having a green card changes everything about the way that you experience that country that you are visiting. One of the things I've noticed in my life, though, is that there are a fair number of um, people who live their Christian life kind of like they're on a tourist visa. They want to make life as much like a vacation as possible. And their primary goal, it seems to be, you know, I'm in and now I'm just going to coast all the rest of the way out. Now, the Bible does tell us that this world is not our home. In fact, we're going to sing that at the end of today's service. I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. I mean, we're just passing through. And it tells us that we are to live here as strangers in a strange land. And that's completely true. I mean, we are citizens of heaven. And that means we're foreigners. But here's what I want you to see today. It's this, that we are not here on a tourist visa. We're here on a work visa. We've kind of been given a green card, and it's been stamped for approval, and that's the approval to work in God's kingdom. Now, we're here in week number two of something I would call approved. Last week we talked about pre-approval. We've been adopted. You may remember that scripture last week. We've been adopted into God's family. You are his child. You are his heir. You are his son and daughter. And he wants to bless you, and he wants to make your life good. And today, though, we're going to kind of shift a little gears and, and talk about how God is calling each of us to live up to the name that he has given us. Now, I mentioned in Bible class this morning, raised by my grandparents in a small town, Nebraska. Every time I ever left the house, they would tell me, don't forget who you are. And it took me a long time to figure that out. But basically, they didn't want anything that I did to cause a poor reflection on who they were. Well, today in our society, a common and even though I would say in some cases there's an emphasis on Christian teaching today that focuses on what God can do for you. There are sermons that are written. There are sermons that are preached on radio and television and books that are preached about the benefits of the Christian life. Everything that you're entitled to receive when after being called by the spirit, you give your life to Jesus. 
And to be quite honest, this is a, a valid emphasis when you understand it correctly. Because the simple truth is that God has given us more than we could ever possibly give him back in return. He gives us something that we could never earn by our own merit or by our own hard work, and that's that right relationship with him. Now, as I mentioned last week, it's, the Bible says he literally lavishes his gifts on us. Gifts like peace and joy and love and mercy and forgiveness. He just kind of pours it out all over us. And it's valid then to talk about all the benefits that come from knowing Jesus the Christ. But I think we make a mistake when we don't emphasize the responsibility that comes also from knowing him. Now, talking only about what we get from God leads to kind of an entitlement mindset. And that mindset kind of leads to a tourist visa mentality. Now, I don't know if you've ever met somebody who feels like they're entitled. And I'm talking about somebody who has kind of an exaggerated sense of privilege based on who they are or who their parents were or how much money they have or what their background was. These are people who kind of feel that the rules only apply, they apply to everybody else, but probably not to them uh, because they somehow think that they deserve special treatment. Now, we need to avoid this sense of entitlement and the notion that the abundant life the life that God desires for all of his people is a life of coasting along and living on spiritual handouts. The fact is, and I remind you again, we are all privileged people. Uh, we are children of the king. God chose us before eternity. God chose us to adopt us as his own. He has forgiven us and he has given us all a brand new life. And so he wants to bless us. That's his desire. He, he wants to bless every part of our lives. And he also wants us to help uh, he also wants to help us become all that we can be. He wants us to become good, or if you will, more and more like Jesus each and every day. And so today we're going to kind of take a look at how this process works, and we're going to take a look at how a life of privilege, uh, how you take a life of privilege and develop it into a life of service. And actually what we're talking about is justification and sanctification. We're talking about what God has already done for us and what is our response to what he's done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 talk about that. What God has done, and then verse 10, about what we do as we live out that life. We're going to look today at 2 Timothy, but we're not going to look at all the verses I read before. We're only going to look at one verse. is where Paul challenges young Timothy along these lines. Now, I don't know if you know much about Timothy, but Timothy was obviously a young man. He was... Uh, Paul's protege. He had been given a really a big job to do. Uh, he was named to be the pastor or the overseer of the church of Ephesus that Paul had founded. And his responsibilities there were administration and leadership and, and probably covering a number of the house churches there. And from what you can read in the scriptures uh, about what Paul says to Timothy, we get the general idea that Timothy was a little bit timid and probably even a little bit intimidated by the fact that he was a whole lot younger than many people that he had been called to lead. And so Paul's letters are not only written to encourage young Timothy, but I think as we read them, they ought to be encouragements to us. And so the verse we're going to look at today is verse 15. Paul said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, there are three things I want to point out as we kind of move from this 
uh, tourist visa mentality, if you will, to this work visa mentality. Three things to think about um, that your life should be about. And the first of these is to consider your life as a payback. Another way to say this is exactly what Paul said, work to be worthy of the gifts you've been given. And I want to make it clear that none of us, none of us will ever be worthy of all that God has given us. He gives us more than we possibly deserve. I mean, the grace and mercy of God sees to that. You cannot earn his favor. You can only receive it. But then, interestingly enough, he challenges us to try. Now, I was a high school teacher for a number of years and taught everything from religion classes to uh, world history and physical education. Even. But I often told my classes on the first day of the semester, I've already given everybody in this class an A. And now for the next 14 weeks, I challenge you to fall in love with this subject and learn everything you possibly can about it. Now, in a sense, that's kind of what God has done for us. Uh, Paul didn't say, do your best to earn God's approval. Instead, he said in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one, what, who's already been approved. He's saying, you've already been approved. You've already gotten the A. Now, make every effort to live up to that standard. See, everything we do in the Christian life is not done in order to gain God's favor. It's done in response to God's favor. I remember a number of years ago, I think probably back in the 1980s, I think when the Lutheran Church had a synod-wide stewardship campaign. It was called His Love, Our Response. And those four words have always kind of stuck in my mind. We look at what, God, what God's love has already done for us, and now what is it we do in response to that? Not to earn it because it's already there. Now, everything we do is in response. You've already been given a name. You've been called a son and daughter of the king. You've already been called a Christian. Now he wants you to, I guess, live, live it up. That's what Paul's asking Timothy to do. He's, that's what he's asking me to do. You've been brought into the family of God. You've been given his name. Now he says, do your best to walk in a manner worthy of the name that you have received. Now, the question is, how does one go about doing that? Well, consider yourself in training. I guess that would be one way of putting it. In verse 15, he says, do your best to present yourself. Now, if you look at other translations, some of them say put every effort to prevent yourself or present yourself. Uh, typically, these words are used in the context of showing up for work. I remember a job that I had as a young person. Uh, the, the guy told me, uh, I expect you to present yourself Monday morning at 8 o'clock. I had never heard that before. I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to do. But somebody told me that, that means show up. <laughs> show up. Uh, that's what a word sometimes that they use to report for duty in the military. You present yourself to your commanding officer. And then Paul says to do this as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. See, he's talking about the quality and the integrity of your efforts. Now, you can't control the results of your efforts, but you can control the effort itself. You control how much of yourself you want to put into your Christian life, how much effort you want to put into your marriage. I mean, you can control how much effort you put into serving other people, how much effort you actually put into your job. Now, Paul says, report for duty and do it in such a way that you will not be ashamed. Now, I've been watching a lot of college baseball in the last couple of days. They're kind of dwindling down the Super Regionals. They're going to get the final eight teams to Omaha. And God willing, next Saturday, 
for the 27th year, I will be at the College World Series in Omaha. And I see the effort that all of those players have put into representing their schools, how much effort. Now, there's another sport that a lot of people in Texas really love, and that's football. And it's off-season right now in the National Football League, and players don't really report now for a couple of months yet. And many of the players are enjoying having a break. You see some pictures of them, some of them in Hawaii, some of them in Cabo, some of them in Jamaica, some of them just doing nothing. But I'm going to ask you, do you know what those four guys are doing? Do you know who those four guys are? Now, you've got Peyton Manning, you've got Tom Brady, you've got Russell Wilson, and you've got Drew Brees. What are they doing right now? They're working. They're working. They're studying game film from last year. They're evaluating every aspect of their performance. They're working with personal trainers on a technique in an effort to shave milliseconds off of their release time. They're already preparing for next season. Now, you're probably somewhere wondering, how come I don't have a picture of Tony Romo up there? Well, I only put up people who've actually won a Super Bowl. Not to, not to slight the Cowboys or Tony Romo. Now, all four of these guys that you see up there, not all four of those guys cannot win the Super Bowl next February. But they can all put in the best possible, put themselves in the best possible position to win by preparing themselves right now. And when you play professional sports at any level, you just plain simple don't stop training. And I suggest that if you want to live your life at a high level, you need to approach it with the same kind of attitude. You never stop this training, these spiritual disciplines. You never stop, pre stop preparing yourself for what comes next. Now, what does that exactly mean? Well, that's my third point, and that is to consider the Word of God as your daily guide. Here again, Paul says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of truth. He's saying, know the Word, study the Word, and live according to the Word. Now, I got to thinking uh, this last week that you know, I'm still in the ministry after many, many years, and I'm still serving Jesus after all of these years. It can be attributed to only one thing beyond the grace of God and allowing me to do this. It's because I was privileged at a very young age to be taught in a Lutheran grade school in Nebraska to spend time in studying the Word of God, to learn it, to know it, to do it, and also how to apply it in different situations. Now, if you happen to be new in the Christian faith, you don't know much about Jesus, or maybe if the idea of a daily Bible study it seems kind of foreign to you, or if it seems kind of intimidating, because after all, the Bible's a pretty big book. It's got 66 books inside of a book, and I don't remember how many verses there are and how many chapters there are or how many words there are in it, and sometimes it seems very complicated, and it's kind of hard to know where to begin. I remember the first time I started to read all the way through the Bible. I started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis is really fascinating. loved it. Exodus, really good. Leviticus about killed me. And I realize that there's probably a slightly different way to approach all of these things. Now, if you're not in a daily Bible reading right now, I just want to recommend a couple of things. One of them is just to read through the New Testament. Start with the New Testament. Maybe that's a place to start. In fact, if you read a chapter a day and you only read five days a week, 
Uh, you could read the New Testament in a year. You'd be through at least 27 books. The second thing I would tell you to do is get yourself a good study Bible. Now, I just happen to put a picture of the Lutheran study Bible up there because, after all, you are Lutheran. Uh, I, I will tell you something, that whatever Bible you choose, number one, make sure it's readable, <laughs> that you can understand it. I think they always said the King James Version uh, is about an 8th or 12th grade reading level. Uh, most people in America, I think, read at about a 6th grade reading level. So read something you can understand. Also know something, if you buy a study Bible, it will reflect whatever publishing company put that Bible together. If you read the Lutheran Study Bible, this one, it's going to have in its notes and its footnotes, it will reflect the teachings, the doctrines, or whatever of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you buy a, a study Bible that is printed up by, let's say, Zondervan Press, it's going to, re, it's going to reflect a, a Reformed theology. Uh, or when I did some of my studies to work on an MBA and a doctorate, you know, one Bible I bought because there were so many Catholics, and I picked up a Catholic study Bible. Well, guess what? All the study notes reflect Catholic theology, just to understand that. And as you read through, I always say if you get a great Bible with, with, with a study Bible, make sure that you read the Bible first. A lot of people buy a study Bible, you know what they do, they just read the notes. Now, read the Bible. Read the Bible. And only look at the notes when you maybe aren't quite sure about it. I mean, most of them give you enough background. And I just say, make this a habit every day. It's kind of a non-negotiable part of your life from now on. And finding time to write the Bible, read the Bible every day has, has never been easier because, quite honestly, anybody's got a cell phone or anybody's got an iPad. you got your Bible with you all the time. i got about three or four Bibles on my cell phone. And I can probably conjure up any number of different versions of the Bible. Now, when you read the Bible, what's it going to do for you? Well, first of all, I'd say pray. Pray that the Spirit would work in your heart as you study the Word. And as you study that Word day in and day out, it will guide your life. It is going to reveal to you sometimes some of your sins. You're not going to necessarily like it. Sometimes it's going to tell you certain things that you ought to confess. Maybe you'll read through David's Psalm 51, where it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit. There are going to be some promises to claim. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your paths. There's a promise, but it's got a premise hooked up with it. Sometimes there are commands to obey. Sometimes there are actions that you should avoid. Uh, sometimes there are just some great examples of people in the Bible to follow. Now, I, I say all of this because you need to make this part of your daily life for the rest of your life. But uh, let me lay out a challenge. I don't know whether I'll be here a year from now. But if you're not in the habit of reading the Bible uh, every day, try it. At least for the next ten days. At least for the next ten days. Read a chapter each morning. That means by the time I'd come back, you would have read maybe 14 chapters. You'd only be halfway through, through Matthew. Uh, now, you could start elsewhere. You could start in the book of James, um, or you could start in the book of Philippians. And while you read each chapter, ask yourself, Lord, what are you teaching me today? And I say the more time you spend in the Word, the less likely you are to give the, live the Christian life like a tourist. Now, to help you out a little bit with this, I have a bunch of these available if you want to take one after a while. It's a devotional study forum that I've used with the guys down in prison before. But you can see the date. You can write a date in there. You can write your scripture passage. 
you can, uh, you know, six, step to his meditation. Six ways to meditate on a verse. Picture it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Can you picture what that would be like? Can you picture what it's like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I mean, can you get a mental picture? Pronounce it. Say it over and over. Paraphrase it. What does it mean in your own words? Personalize it. Pray it. Probe it. And then apply it. I've always used this little thing called space pets. You know, sin to confess, promise to keep, attitude to change, command to keep, and on and on. So I have a bunch of these, and if you'd like to pick up one at the end of the service today, give you a minute. That's just a nice little way for you to get started on that. Now, that's part of this preparation, to live the life worthy. You recognize Abraham Lincoln. Well, Abraham Lincoln said something I really like. He said, you have to do your own growing no matter how tall your grandfather was. Now, how does that apply to the Christian life? Well, really, you can't, you can't really live off somebody else's faith. You can't live off of anybody's past. I mean, they're gonna, they may help you, but you do it yourself. See, the, God's grace is free. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you're adopted into his family. You belong to him, and he gives you his name. And at that moment, you receive that permanent stamp of approval. But it's not a tourist visa. It's a work visa because it's a green card for God's kingdom, and he wants you to put it to use. Now, how do you do it? Well, maybe to encapsulate it this way. It's by spending time in the word every day. And as you do that, you train yourself to become a workman who need not be ashamed, empowering you to present yourself to God as one who's been approved for service, approved for ministry, approved for servanthood. One of the things I always teach the guys down in prison is work the word and the word will work you. That's the guarantee. You dig in that word. And the word is going to do something to you. So the question is, do you want to live up to the name that God has given you? Then put your green card to use. Tomorrow morning, or maybe yet this afternoon, open your Bible, read a chapter, and see what God has to say about your day. Now, this past Wednesday, Nancy and I went to a Bible class. And we were told that by this next Wednesday to read the first five chapters of the book of Acts. That's a challenge, too. Now, I don't know where you're going to start, but I know where I'm already started in the book of Acts. Read a chapter and ask yourself, what does God have to say about your day? And then I would say, let the adventure begin. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for your word. We thank you for giving.